Good morning. We, uh, we've had a week where the pressure's just grown. Uh, on Monday, we were fist pumping. Wednesday, elbow shake. And today, foot jab. It's, it's been a, a week of increasing building pressure. The, the memes have got funnier and funnier, and it's been less and less appropriate to laugh. It's just, it's building, because we're in a crisis. And today, I want to speak about how to live in a crisis. Because there's a Christian way of living in a crisis that is actually, it gives life to your soul, and there's a way of living in your crisis that, that will crush you. And so I want to speak about how you live in a crisis to bring life. You know, the, the word crisis, it's defined as a time of intense difficulty or danger. I was on WhatsApp groups this morning, and, and there are only two subjects that are coming through in my WhatsApp groups. Where can we surf? and Corona. Those are just coming through the whole time on, on my WhatsApp groups. But the Corona thing is beginning to strangle. And so I want to I speak about how you shake that off. I'm going to read from a, a text of a crisis. It's a crisis a lot worse than the crisis we're facing, but, but it's a crisis nonetheless. It's a time of intense difficulty or danger, and, and it says in Acts 8 chapter 1, on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Devout men buried Stephen, he'd just been martyred, and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now, this is a different kind of crisis. This is a people being hunted kind of crisis. This is, this is horrific compared to what we're in, but it's still a crisis and the principles still apply. Stephen's just been killed. Businesses, Christian businesses would have been shutting down. People would have been trying to get their money out of the bank, but they wouldn't have been able to. And, and you've got to think of the newsfeed. Newsfeed day one is Stevens just be killed. Newsfeed day two is that people are getting dragged out of houses. They're, gonna, they're getting flogged. They're getting put in jail. And, and the Christian community, about 20,000 people by now, maybe a, a, a lot more, 20,000 at least, are going, we need to get out of here. By nightfall of the second day, it is likely that most of those Christians had run. Everyone but the apostles. I don't know about you, but, but I look at this and I go, why not the apostles? And it, it's so easy. We, we get caught into looking with hindsight over what happened here. Because now we know that this was a demonically inspired persecution to wipe out the church, but God took what Satan had planned against them and used it for good and mobilized 20,000 plus Christians to change the world. We know now that Saul, the guy pulling people out house to house and flogging them and chucking them in prison, three years later was the greatest missionary there's ever been for the church. We know that now. They didn't know that back then. We know now that those Christians who escaped probably saved not just their own lives, but their kids' lives and their children's children's lives because 29 years later, Rome came in and Josephus says 1.1 million people were killed. We know that now. But back then, they didn't even have that verse that says, but God works all things together for good for those who loved, love him and are called according to his purposes. Back then, 
this was scary. So they're on the run, everyone other than the apostles. I want to say, before we look at the apostles, that as we face corona, we have no idea how God is going to use this, but he's going to use it for our good, and he's going to use it powerfully for our good. I asked the question, why didn't the apostles run? And I was thinking about it again and again. I thought to myself, they knew they were supposed to go from Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Why did they stay in Jerusalem? And as I thought about it, I thought, there would have been one reason. They were the ones with faith to protect the church, to take the knock, to face persecution. And I think they were staying there out of love. And I think if you'd asked them why they're staying, they would have said, because Jerusalem hasn't been reached yet and because we need to protect the church. There's another group of people who'd scattered, 20,000 of them. And I think if you'd cornered them and said, why are you running? They would have said, to protect the church and because the world needs to be reached. Both groups were full of faith. Different kind of faith, but they were full of faith. Which I find really interesting. Because this week as I watched Corona news hit the Christian world, I, I watched two reactions. There was a group who scattered. They said the most loving, powerful thing we can do is self-isolate, make sure we don't get to anyone because that way we can protect this nation and we can pray and we can love them. And they were right. And then Chief Justice got up and he said, if you really believe in the God you say you believe in, can you please get up and pray? Because I know that that God can change everything. Will you get up in your 70s and pray? And another half of the church got up and went, we're gonna go pray, we're gonna fast and pray. And then what happened, I think is the same thing that happened to the apostles. My gut is that some of the people scattered looked back at the apostles and going, went, what are those oaks doing? They haven't even written Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. How are we going to spread the gospel? These oaks are being unwise. And I'd guess some people who were stuck with apostles, not the apostles themselves, but someone probably said, what are those oaks doing? Where's their faith? They just run at the first hint of, of persecution. And I watched this week as the church started turning on each other. What's the right thing to do? The right thing to do is what you have faith for. If you have faith to stay in a house so that you can protect people and you can get on your knees and pray with faith and, and engage in Instagram and social media and, and try and tell people about Jesus, then do it with all your heart. And if you have faith to be in a life group right now, two meters apart, elbow shakes, no dipping in the same food. If you, if you have faith for that and you have faith to come out and join us in 70s and pray with all your faith because you love this country and you believe that God will change it, then take your faith and do what you can. But whatever you do, don't get stuck somewhere in fear criticizing the other party because Satan will use that to strangle the work of God. We're called to have faith. Use it wherever you're at. The reason I know that both parties were out to reach the lost is because in verse four it says, those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. One group's running to protect others and reach the lost. Another group is staying to protect and reach the lost. 
what I um, what I loved is that God used the apostles and the scattered to reach the lost. Now this this scripture carries on, and it says. Those who had scattered preached the word wherever they went. They must have spoken using interpreters. And, and if it was in today's context, they would have done it on social media. They would have used every single tool they could have to spread the gospel. Because the principle is this. When you hit a crisis, and this is what they got right. When you hit a crisis, the thing you do is seek first the kingdom of God. It's what Paul spoke about. Because in the scripture that Paul read, it says, you seek first the kingdom of God and he will add everything else to you. And when you hit a crisis, there's no one else who's gonna add anything else to you. In a crisis, it's either you or God and you. Now, lots of people have said to me, Russ, how do we approach this crisis? Here's how you approach the crisis. By seeking God with all your heart, you throw the whole kitchen sink, everything at seeking first the kingdom of God. And this story is about a man who was seeking first the kingdom of God. And it goes on and it says in Acts 8, it says, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. This is how you seek first the kingdom of God. I I love this story. You've got one man searching for the kingdom of God, and you've got another man seeking first the kingdom of God, and you've got all of heaven trying to get them together. Angels involved, the Holy Spirit's involved, but it still requires a lot of faith from the one seeking first the kingdom of God because all God gave him was get onto the desert road heading south towards the bluff and nothing, no next step. And I don't know about you, but if the Holy Spirit had said that to me or an angel had said that to me, I would have got 100 meters down the N2 going towards the bluff and I would have wondered if I'd eaten something for breakfast or that really was an angel. But Philip keeps going. Philip keeps going. And he meets this man. Though he's only got one part of the plan, though he doesn't know how far to go on the desert road, though he doesn't know what to look for on the desert road, he meets this man that God is setting an ambush for. You know, when I, before I was a Christian, I arrived in Maritzburg for my first day of varsity. Arrived on a bus, and I needed to get to a certain address, so I got a taxi. And the first taxi just drove straight past me. The second taxi pulled up, and, uh, and there was already a person in it, which I thought was strange. And, uh, and so I got into the taxi, and the guy sitting next to me said, um, Uh, I felt like God told me to stop my taxi to collect you, which is kind of freaky when you're not a Christian. And then he said to me, do you believe in Jesus? And I said, kind of. And, And he said, because Jesus loves you. And I went, this is getting weirder by the moment. You know, it was an ambush. 
God had spoken to that guy, and his words were going to haunt me for all of my first year of varsity. It was an ambush. Here's what I want to say to you. If you're seeking first the kingdom, there's someone else searching for the kingdom, and God wants to set an ambush. Even if you're at home in your PJs on social media, he wants to set an ambush. You just have to get close enough to hear the man searching speak. You see, then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard, he heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. And he could say, do you understand what you're reading, Philip asked. And, and the guy responds, how can I? Unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its share is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is this prophet talking about himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. And as they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. This is an ambush. If you're facing the crisis and you're scared, as many of us are, we're scared. If you're a business owner, you're terrified. How are we going to pay salaries? If you're elderly and you're feeling vulnerable, you're scared. If you're, you've traveled, you're scared. Am I going to give this disease? Have I got the disease? These are the kind of thoughts that are going through people's minds. If you're scared, Here's what you do. You go, God, I'm throwing the kitchen sink at seeking first your kingdom. Now open my ears to hear someone. And you can hear them in many, many different ways. You can hear them from home. But open my ears, Lord, to hear someone. And then start listening. Because God wants to set an ambush. The other week, I, I, I got a little voice note on my phone. One of... My pastor friends in Cape Town left me a voice note, and he said to me, Ross, there's a guy I've been praying for for about 12 years now, and he's one of my best friends, one of the people I, I love the most. I've been praying for him, I've been trying to speak to him about Jesus, and just nothing's happened. And he didn't use these words, but he could have said, but God set an ambush. His business started to go south. And then someone said to him, hey, why don't you go speak to Ross? And I sat with him. And because I was seeking first the kingdom, I heard about this guy before he got to me. And I started to get excited because I was seeking first the kingdom. And when I sat with him, a God ambush happened and he gave his life to Jesus. Now friends, that gave me fuel for my soul that will carry you through any crisis. You want to know what was going on in Philip's soul? He was just excited. Life was going well for him. Yeah, he'd lost everything. But life was full. God was with him. He was seeking first. God was looking after him. And then it goes like this. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. 
But Philip found himself at Azotus. And as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. You read that the first time and you go like, uh, how did Philip get from there to there? And then, then I did some research and I found that Azotus was 55 kilometers away from where Philip was. Remember, he's seeking first the kingdom of God. And he suddenly gets from there to there in a moment. And you've got to ask why. Because there's nothing waiting for him. I think that God, who's always looking to strengthen those whose hearts are fully his, God, who's always looking for people who are seeking first the kingdom of God so that he can add to them. I think God looked down and Jesus went, hey, Dad, did you see what he was up to? Yeah? How's about we give him a little bit of heavenly transport? And this is the first case of a man being teleported to somewhere else in Scripture. He just goes, for no reason, other than God just going, this is cool. Here's why I tell you this. If you will seek first the kingdom, you'll begin to see God doing ridiculously, lavishly, uncomprehendable stuff that you couldn't have asked for or even imagined to ask for. If you will seek first the kingdom, this is not the time to worry about how we're gonna stop the global pandemic. This is the time to seek first the kingdom. Let him carry, worry about the global stuff. You worry about the today stuff and watch how God takes us and begins to shift us. Now church, this week, if you had the faith, we're gonna be meeting in groups of 70s across the city and praying. If you just want to join us from your bedroom, that's cool. But in different spaces across the city, we're going to be meeting in groups of 70. Because to seek first the kingdom means to pray that God will heal our land. It means to go and find people who are searching for the kingdom. And it means to love. And so this week, we're going to pray, and however we can, we're going to go, and we're going to love, and we're going to start that now, we're going to stand, and we're going to pray, and then on Thursday, we're going to go, and we're going to love, so can I invite you to stand with me as I close in prayer, and this time as we pray, we are praying for God to intervene, confident that God's got this, and that he'll use us. So Heavenly Father, as we come before you today, we know that we don't have hindsight on this, but we know you've always got crises. You always use crises for your good. We know that you've got this one and you're gonna use it for your good, for your glory, for your kingdom. And people's lives are gonna be impacted by the gospel because of this disease. Though Satan meant it for harm, you will use it for good, Lord. We declare that. And God, as we seek first the kingdom, Lord, we know that you're not sitting there going, ah, oh, you left it too late. We know that you're waiting for us to grab hold of it and come home. And so, God, I pray that you set your people alight. I pray that ambushes will happen all over the city on every single medium possible. Lord God, I pray that people get saved. Use us, Jesus. 
And God, I ask that you intervene for the vulnerable, for the weak, for the lonely. I pray, God, you use medicine, you use your church, you use healing the sick. I I ask that you just intervene across our city and nation across the world. Lord, will you intervene, move in power, we pray. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen.